Welcome to the Redeemer Community Church podcast. The following audio is from Redeemer Community Church located in Johnson City, Tennessee. We hope it will be encouraging to you as you listen. You guys can go ahead and grab a seat. I did a wedding once and forgot to tell people to sit down. That was great. Um, so um, if you guys want to stand for the whole sermon, that'd be awesome. Well, have you ever been shaken up with something that you once felt so confident in, and then you got shaken up, and all of a sudden you found yourself very timid? Maybe you were an athlete, and then you had a, a knee injury or a shoulder injury, something that made you just not as fearless on the court or on the field. Or maybe it's with your job, where you were excelling and you were doing great things, praised only, but then a superior offered you some feedback and you felt defeated and you found yourself now second-guessing the decisions you once made with ease. Or, or maybe it's relationally, where you went out on a, on a limb to tell someone how you felt and then they rejected you and you just feel like, I just don't have the confidence to approach someone anymore. But have you ever found yourself shaken up that resulted in being timid? Well, today we're going to see how Peter and John, these are two of Jesus's best friends, leaders in the church, how they were shaken up by some people in authority. And in that, they could have easily found themselves timid. They could have lost confidence in the gospel. They could have been less bold to talk about Jesus. But what we will find is that they were actually unshaken that they were firm. And so I want us to explore how we can be firm in our faith, how we can be unshaken when life gets hard. All right, so in Acts, we're going to pick up in verse 23. It says, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. So real quick background on what's going on. In chapter 3, Peter and John heal this guy that's been crippled from birth. He's, he's never been able to walk. He's 40 years old, and they tell him, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. He gets healed. Everyone gathers, and they're wondering, how did this happen? What's going on? And Peter preaches a sermon to say, this is all Jesus. Now, the Jewish leaders aren't pro-Jesus. They're not flying the Jesus flag. They're not happy about this, so they arrest Peter and John. And as they are arrested, they know, well, we can't put them on trial for doing something good. I mean, that won't go over well. Why, did, why are you persecuting them? Because they healed a guy? It's like, we got we to gotta turn it on Jesus. So they say, okay, you can't talk about Jesus anymore, right? So now they charge them to not talk about Jesus, let them go. And now we see Peter and John, the first thing they do is they go to their friends and tell them everything that happened. Now let's see how they respond. It says, and when they heard it, they lifted their voices. These are the Peter and John and the friend group. This is the whole of the, this group. They heard it. They lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. So what's their response? The first thing they do is they look up to God and pray. Now, I'm going to give you a quick outline of today's sermon. There's going to be three things about God. There's going to be three prayer requests that directly flow from those attributes. And then I'm going to give you three takeaways. You're like, that's nine points. I can't remember all that. Yes, you can. All right, I'll take notes. All right, so three, 
Sets of three, all right? So the first thing we're going to see, the first three things are about God, and this is their prayer, which looks vertical. This is giving us a rhythm to our prayer life. Their prayer life begins by looking up to God and reflecting on who God is. So the prayer begins looking vertically to God. And so of this, three things. The first thing we see is they look at a God who made, right? A God who made. So the first thing is God is creator. The first thing they reflect on is that God is creator. In thinking about what does that mean, what does it mean that God is creator, they're realizing that he is in control, that he has authority, that he made all that is in the earth and he's over it. I think about Psalm 8. If you read Psalm 8, it's this amazing reflection upon creation where the psalmist goes, who am I? Who, like, I feel so small as I look up to the stars in the sky. If, if God, who placed the stars in the sky with his finger, who am I that he would be mindful of me? And then at the end of that, he's, he says, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Like he, he, he ends in worship. And so when you reflect upon who God is as creator, it should have an effect on our lives to draw us to worship God for who he is. And so the, what you need to know in God being creator is this. When circumstances are overwhelming, when you find yourself in a position where life is pressing in on you, when circumstances are overwhelming, look to God and remember that he's bigger than your circumstances. Not only is he bigger than your circumstances, though, he has you in mind and he is in control of this. Right? So God is bigger than what you're dealing with. He knows what you're going through. He has you in mind. I would say he has you in mind by name, and he's ultimately the one in control because he's the one who made it. All right? So God is creator. The second thing we see, look at verses 25 through 27. It says, And through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why do the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The king of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord, against his anointed. So they begin to quote scripture here. They're quoting from Psalm 2, which was written a thousand years before Jesus. So they're, they're reflecting upon scripture. Then look at what they say after this. For truly in this city where they, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. And so in verse 27, they connect that Jesus is the anointed one that the psalmist was looking towards. So in Psalm 2, it talks about the Lord's anointed. Now they realize that Jesus is the fulfillment of that. So the second thing we see, though, is that not only is God creator, but he's also revealer. As they look to God's word, they, they realize that God is revealing himself to us. Why does God reveal himself to us through his word? Because he wants us to be in a relationship with him. And the only way for us to be in a relationship with him is through his one and only son, Jesus Christ, his anointed. All right, so he's revealer. I, I, this is why we are Bible people at Redeemer. Okay, when you think about the Bible, it says that these words were spoken through David, but by the Holy Spirit. That means that the, the Bible isn't a book written by humans about God. It's a book written by God through humans. And so there's one primary author, the Holy Spirit. And then as you explore the Bible, you'll realize that there are multiple messengers, over 40 people who, who co-author or who are messengers of God's 
word, and then that takes place. This is crazy. That takes place over 1,500 years. It spans over three different continents. It, it brings up, it has three different languages. It's extremely diverse in the fact that some of it is poetic, some of it's historical, some of it is prophetic. Um, some guys write like fishermen, some guys write like doctors, but in all of its diversity, it's perfectly unified around one story the story of Jesus and how he came to save God's people. So God reveals himself to us because he wants to be in a relationship with us. This is beautiful when you connect it to creator. You see, God as creator didn't just create the world and then step back to watch things unfold. No, as creator, he now steps in as someone who is in pursuit of us, as someone who's revealing himself to us because he desires for us to be in a right relationship with him. So he's creator, he's revealer. Then look at verse 28. It says, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. To do. You know what you call someone who does things in an organization? That's your executor. All right, the executor gets things done. They have a plan and they see that plan through. And so as he reflects upon how God has a plan and how he's predestined for this to take place, they're now reflecting on God as executor, that God has a plan for our lives. He has a plan for his creation, for humanity. And as the good God, a sovereign Lord, he will see that plan through, right? So three things about God. He's creator, he is revealer, and he is executor. So they begin by looking vertically. Now what they're going to do is they're going to begin to look horizontally. They're going to begin to look to their circumstances, to the things they're dealing with, and they're going to make requests of God. So now we're getting to our second three. As we look horizontal, we're going to get to three prayer requests. Three things the church prays for as a direct result of their vertical thinking about who God is. It says in verse 29, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal. And signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. The first request they make is for God to look upon their threats. They're like, God, look upon our threats. Now, I want you to imagine, if you were in this situation and you're being persecuted, you're being shamed, you're, you're being try, where people are trying to force you to be silent about your faith, what are you going to pray for? Like, God, get me out of this. Like, remove those threats, right? We want escape. Get me out of this. Take those threats away. God, or take them out. Like, God, if you could just sweep the leg on some of those dudes and get them out of the way, like, just sweep the leg. Like, that's what we'd be praying for. But instead of the, the church saying, God, get us out, or God, remove our threats, they say, God, look upon them. What does that mean? I would say this is more of a prayer for themselves to to realize that God is in control. They're saying, God, help us to remember that you know exactly what we're dealing with. God, put us in a state of mind that we know that you're overseeing what we're going through. And if it's your will to get us out, we know that's what's best. If it's your will to bring us through, we know that's what's best. God, we know that ultimately what happens is exactly what we would want to happen if we knew all things that you knew. So they're praying to to have an understanding that God is in control. You know what that reflects? Their vertical thinking of God being creator. So because they realize that God is creator, their first request reflects that as they say, God, be mindful of our threats. Give us a greater confidence that you are the one who is sovereign and in control over what we're dealing with. 
The second request they make is give us boldness. It's like, God, give us boldness to preach your word, to communicate your word. And, and I think boldness is something we all need. Some people are easy to talk to Jesus about. Some people are hard to talk to Jesus about. And if we're honest, a lot of us need boldness to even talk to the easy people, right? Like we just struggle with that. And I, I think a lot of us go, why do we have to be bold to speak? Why can't we just be people who do? I mean, I, people love the idea of preach the gospel and use words if necessary. Like, they're just like, let's just serve the, the needy, let's feed the poor, and like, and just, let's just do things. Why do we need to speak? And, but they're saying, God, give us boldness to speak. Why? Because not only do we need to be the hands and feet of Christ, we also need to be his mouthpiece, right? Jesus did love through his deeds, but he also loved through his words, so here's what's happening. As they reflect on God who is revealer, a God who has a message to communicate to the people he loves through his people, they're realizing, God, we have a message to give. We want to, we want to, re, we want to be a part of how you're revealing yourself to the world we're in. So God, give us boldness to tell people that God has a plan for their life and that God loves them and that God is in pursuit of them. God, help us to communicate through words. All right, and then the third request they make is for God to stretch out his hand. God, stretch out your hand. This is a way of saying, God, do what only you can do so people will, so people will know who you are and how you love. God, stretch out your hand. Work miraculously. Now, sometimes God works in a way that is supernatural, but that's not all of the time. Right? We, we shouldn't be shocked that there aren't crazy physical healings happening every day at Redeemer. Right? That's why we call them miracles and not Mondays. Okay? But God sometimes does work in supernatural ways. We've seen it at Redeemer. We, we had a whole strand of things with people being in the ICU and having brain injuries and cancers and things just working out. Like, so we know God does work supernaturally, and we pray for that and hope for that right? But at the end of the day, a lot of time God just works subtly. But here's what we need to know, whether it's supernatural or subtle, when someone hears the message of God and comes into a right relationship with Him, that's something that only God can do. Our job is to be obedient, our job is to be faithful, but we trust God with the results. So we say, God, we'll do our part, but you do what only you can do. Help people to know how you love them, and who you are. Right, so they make three requests. Now, here's, here's what I love about this, okay? Because I've given you three threes, and maybe you're like, that's six things. Um, this rhythm of focusing vertically before horizontally is so important in our prayer life. Because here's what happens. Have you ever walked into the grocery store to get two things? You get the text. It's like, pick up some eggs and milk. You're like, five bucks. I got this. And you walk in and come out with an $80 bill. Like, what happened? Is that just me? This is why Lucy does our grocery shopping, because I'm, I'm like, that looks good. Like, let's do the chip aisle. And so, so when you walk in the grocery store and then you come out with different things, it's like you had your list, but somehow that changed, okay? So imagine this. Let's say you're going to the grocery store after a rough day. It's been a hard day, and you're going, and you're, you've been trying to eat well. You're like, I'm eating on the outside aisles. I'm eating good living things that are bringing life to me. And you walk in, and you're like, I'm getting ice cream, I'm getting cookie dough, and I'm doctor enough. I'm going all out, not even diet, full, full on. And so you just go in with your list of like, I'm binging. But then you walk in, and as you walk in and you're confronted with 
the strawberries and the blueberries and raspberries and the spinach and the zucchini and the stuff. You're like, you're like, I need to be better. And so you, you start putting those things in your cart instead. Like you walk out with better things because your appetite changed, right? You're like, that's never happened in my life. Like for sake of illustration, when you go to God, it's like you might have your list when you start prayer, but when you go to him first and look vertically, it shapes your appetite. So the things you begin to pray for are what you need more so than what you want. So when we go to God first, it shapes the appetite of our prayer, and we see that in their prayer life. As they look vertically, everything they ask for is in a direct reflection of who they know God to be. All right, so we have three things about God, three requests that flow directly from those things, all right? And then we've got the takeaway, right? What's the big thing from this text, right? What's the big thing from this text? Look at verse 31. When they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. They get their own personal earthquake, supernatural, not a Monday, okay? So that's supernatural, but here's what I want you to realize. When you are shaken by the power of God, you will be unshaken by the power of people. When you are shaken by the power of God, you will be unshaken by the power of your circumstances, by the power of crisis in your life, right? So what happens is these disciples, the leaders attempted to shake them up, but because they were shaken by the power of God, they remained unshaken in their faith and continued to operate with boldness, all right? So I want to give you three things, right? They're like, that's a lot of threes today. I get it, all right? Three things that I believe will help you to be firm in your faith. All right, so maybe these things won't necessarily physically shake you up, but I believe they will tap you into the same power that shook the early church. Okay, three things. All right, they all come from the text. All right, and let's say this they function like a three legged stool. So if you have a stool with, that needs three legs and you take one of those out, unless you are in Cirque du Soleil, it's probably not going to work well, right? You're, you're going to fall over. So we need all three of these things to make one stool to remain stable. Three things. The first thing is this. We see it in verse 23. They ran to their friends. The first thing we need to do to be unshaken in our faith when life gets hard, when we meet crisis, when circumstances press in on us, is we need to open up our lives to pursue Christian friendship, okay? Open up your life to pursue Christian friendship. So often what I see happening in the church is people run to other things. They don't run to their, to their friends within the church, but the church is meant to be a place where you have deep friendships. It's meant to be a place where you are known at the inner level, where people know you and people love you. It's a place where you can lean on people when you need it. A place where you can be leaned on when others need it. It's a place for deep friendships. That's why we love community groups. It's a place to cultivate those types of relationships, okay? But what happens is so often people wait until crisis comes. They wait until I lost my job, um, my, me and my wife are on the edge of divorce, or uh, I've got cancer, or someone I love has cancer, or someone's passed away, and then we don't have anyone to run to, right? Look, these friendships can't be microwaved like a burrito. It takes time to develop them, so don't wait until crisis comes in the now. 
begin to cultivate these relationships. So open up your lives and pursue Christian friendships, right? The second thing, we see this in how they, they open up God's Word and look to the Psalms. I would say this, the second thing is open up your Bibles to pursue right knowledge of Jesus. Open up your Bibles to pursue right knowledge of Jesus. A lot of people have thoughts about their faith, but a lot of times people don't have convictions. So people have thoughts about what Jesus would want for them or what Jesus is like, but they're not convictions. And what happens is they begin to to build out their belief system in the midst of crisis. So once things get hard, they start to ask the, the what questions. Well, why do I believe? What do I believe? And so often when you're in the midst of crisis, you will form beliefs based off of a bias that will make your life easiest. And you pursue ease over truth. And so we need to open up our Bibles and begin to pursue right knowledge of Jesus, not after the fact, but before the fact, right? So if you have thoughts about Jesus, those are generally like sandcastles, They might look pretty and sound good, but when the waves come in, they easily fall, right? But convictions that are rooted in truth are a firm foundation, right? So so here's what we need to know. If we believe the Bible to be what what Scripture says about itself, right, we can take two postures with Scripture. I've said this before. I'll say it again. There's two postures we can take when it comes to Scripture. We can believe that we stand over the Bible, that we're the ones who get to, to choose what's relevant, what we'll believe and what we'll follow, and we can choose what not to believe and what not to follow based off of what's popular in culture, what's easy for our lives. That's the Thomas Jefferson approach, where you just take scissors. You're like, don't like this, don't like that. It's the, it's the golden corral approach. It's like macaroni and cheese, right? That salmon looks a little old. Let's skip that, right? Burger, safe bet. Like you just kind of pick and choose what you want, but, but that's standing over the Bible. All right? So we open up the Bible to know, to pursue right knowledge of Jesus because we believe we're not over it. We believe we're under it. We believe that this is something that is authoritative, that it's living and active, it's to be believed, and it's to be obeyed. So we want to open up Scripture to pursue right knowledge of Jesus. Not to have thoughts, but to have convictions because that's what holds us when life falls apart, our convictions that are rooted in truth. Okay, so open up your lives to pursue Christian friendship. Open up your Bibles to pursue right knowledge of Jesus. And the third thing is this, open up your spirit to pursue the presence and power of God through prayer. Open up your spirit to pursue the power and presence of God through prayer. We need to come to God in prayer and go to war because that is a gift we have been given through Jesus. You see, a lot of times when life gets hard, Here's how people respond. I just need to go to the gym. I'm going to go to the gym and I'm going to pound some weights. Or I'm going to go to the gym and I'm going to set that treadmill on until it shuts down. Or I just need to drink. I need to go take the edge off. Or I need to go to yoga and get my flow on. I just need to go get some downward dog. Like, you're like, I just need to, I just let, me go, let me go real hot today. And so and you think like, man, I need, to, I need to go on vacation. I need to get out into nature. And we respond in all these different ways. But here's what I can tell you. When life gets hard, when circumstances press in, when crisis hits, what you need most is Jesus. And what you need are true Christian friends who will point you to 
truth, who will tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. What you need are Christian friends who will go to battle and go to war with you in the throne room of God through prayer. We need to have true Christian community that focuses and centers our lives on Jesus when we're interceding for each other. And when we have those three legs to the stool, we will begin to experience the power of God in such a way that when life begins to hit, when crisis comes, when circumstances press in, when the world tries to shake us up, we respond not through timidity, but through continued boldness because we're rooted and grounded in Jesus. And that's good news. God, I thank you for your word. As we begin to respond, God, help us to do so in this rhythm. God, let us look vertically and reflect on who you are, to know you as, as a good God who is in control, as a God who is not distant and disinterested, but a God who is near and in pursuit. And God, help us to know you as the God who has a plan for our lives and who is seeing it through, who is directing our paths towards eternal life in its fullness. And God, as we know who you are, we ask that you would let our lives follow suit. God, that we would have confidence, that we would have boldness, and God, that we would see you work in ways that only you can work. God, as we leave this morning, help us to leave as a people who have been with Jesus. God, your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this audio from Redeemer Community Church in Johnson City, Tennessee. You can connect with us and find out more information at RedeemerCommunity.com.